everyone. <clears throat> As we begin this morning, I want to revisit a topic that we talked about last week when we were looking at the individualism in our Western culture. It's a familiar topic. It's not new information to us, but I want you to recall our conversation about the rise of the nuns. Remember that? Not N-U-N-S, but the nuns, the, the group typically under 30 years of age who whenever they get to the question on a survey that asks about their affiliation with certain groups, whether that's a denomination or a political party, their answer usually is none. That's the term, the rise of the nuns. Now, the reason for that is most of the time they prefer to stand alone not align themselves with any particular group. And the motivation for most, maybe not all, but probably for most, is that they want to preserve the right of self-governance. They are resistant to any authority outside of themselves because no one knows what's best for me better than me, right? <laughs> Tim Keller has a great term for this. He calls it the sovereign self. Isn't that a great term? The sovereign self. Self. And he goes on to describe that, that people in this kind of idea often look at happiness as something that I discover when I'm who I am, uh, fulfilling what de desires I might have regardless of what anyone else thinks. And that's kind of typified in that perspective. Now, one of the things that you'll uh, recall about this or one of, good, one of the good examples, if you saw the movie Frozen, okay, there's a particular scene when Elsa breaks away from the kingdom, and in her song, she kind of speaks to this sovereign self. Listen to what she says. She says, it's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's really the theme song of the sovereign self. <laughs> and it's a very highly valued ideal in our Western culture. Now, the other extreme, though, is equally as dangerous, and we see this in cultures within the world as well. And that's where the group itself is actually given preference or identity as something more valuable than the person. Okay, so you might see this in cultures like we see in, in India with uh, the caste system. So in this culture, you're born into a certain group, a certain caste, and it predetermines your place in society. It, it'll determine what jobs you can get. It'll even determine the person that you can marry. And, and in these cultures, the group is more highly valued than the individual themselves. Now, the reason I, I tell you this is because I want us to understand the balance of God's design for the church because I don't believe that you'll see the limitations of either of these extremes, the, the sovereign self or, or what I'll call the, the unseen self. Instead, what we'll find when we look at the church is that he does enable each person individually with a, with a gift, something to contribute to the common good. And, and those exercises of those gifts help build unity and, and connection within the body of Christ so that no one stands alone. The result of that is kind of a, a miraculous unity within diversity. The reason that's so important is because God's design for the church is intended to be a reflection of his very nature and character. Just think about the, the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there is a unity within diversity, and it was from that image that the church was designed. So when we talk about relationships this morning, and we're going to talk about how to steward those relationships, we're going to look at them from the context of the relationships that are made possible in the church. As we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we exist for Him and because of Him. And those relationships are a gift. And so we want to know how to steward that gift. Remember what we said last week? You honor the giver by how you steward the gift. And so this morning we want to learn what it means to honor God by stewarding the gift of these relationships that we have with one another. So if you would, pray with me. Father, as we come together this morning, we want to continue that conversation of what it means to be good stewards. Father, help us this morning understand what it means to steward the relationships that are made possible because of Jesus Christ. Being reconciled to you and with one another because of the forgiveness of sin that stood as a barrier between us and you and creates all kinds of dysfunction even in our relationship with one another. So Father, as we think through this this morning, help us to uh, understand what it means to be faithful, to be a good steward of the gift of these relationships. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, from the very beginning, God knew that it was not good for man to be alone. We all know that, right? Think back to the, the Garden of Eden. After God had created the world and, and the plants and animals, the trees, all the life that existed, he looked at Adam and what did he say? He says it's not good for man to be alone. And this wasn't just kind of a, 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 an afterthought by God, like, oh, I didn't think about that. He's alone. That's not good. No, he, he knew it all along. And, and he knew that, that mankind would ultimately be created in his image, an image of undivided fellowship. So from the very beginning, we were created to live within community. We were built to be in relationships. But here's one of the main differences between who God is and who we are. You see, God is completely sufficient within himself. We are not. It is not good for man to be alone. God doesn't need us but we desperately need him. God wasn't made complete because of us, but we are only made complete because of him. You see, one of the reasons God created the church is plain and simple. We need help. It's not good for anybody to be alone. He created the church because we need help. We need one another. We need to exist in a relationship with him, and he made each of us to exist because of a relationship with one another. We need each other, and that's built into his design. There's a quote by a, a Christian artist that passed away several years ago. If you enjoyed his music like I did, his name's Rich Mullins, and he has a wonderful quote. This is one of my favorites, okay? Listen to what Rich Mullins said. He said, I never understood why going to church made you a hypocrite. Nobody goes to church because they're perfect. If you've got it all together, you don't need to go. You can go jogging with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. 
Every time you go to church, listen to this. Every time you go to church, you're confessing again to yourself, to your family, to the people who pass on the way there, to the people who greet you, that you don't have it all together, that you need their support, that you need their direction, some accountability. You need some help. Doesn't it feel good just to be honest about that? We are here, all of us, because we need help. And God designed the church to meet that need. Let me show you an example. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's going to be a familiar passage because we looked at it not too long ago when we went through 1 Corinthians together. But I want us to look at uh, some verses in that chapter, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 4. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. If you would, uh, just follow along with me. It says, now, therefore, or, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Here we see the Trinity at work, just as we've been talking about. You'll notice it says the Spirit distributes the gifts. The Lord, I believe, referring to Jesus, creates the ministry. God determines the effect. There is a divine unity within this variety of gifts and, and ministries and effects but they're all designed to work together. Why? For the common good. Individuals gifted in a way that benefits the group. So to be a good steward in, in one sense is to, to use the gifts that God has given me in order to be a blessing to you and you the same towards me and others around you. Now go on down to verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if there were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. The point here is that, that God built interdependence into his design for the church. There's no one who's insignificant or unimportant. In fact, our individual needs are based ultimately on our corporate unity. In other words, for me to become all that God created me to be, I need you. My life was created to be in relationship with you. He created us for one another to the point that no one stands alone. Now go to verse 26. Verse 26, he says, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. The idea here is that we, by God's design, are so deeply connected with one another that one of us suffers, we all feel that. When one of us is honored, we all rejoice in that. We are deeply connected to one another. It's part of his design. 
see, you need the church. The church needs you. And we all need Jesus. That's the reality. Nobody does just fine on their own. He made it clear from the very beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. You were created to live within community. So God designed the church for the common good of his people. He distributed the gifts to each and every one of us, placing us in the body just as he desired so that we all have something to contribute. No one person has all the answers. No one person walks in perfect obedience. We all need help. We all need Jesus. And that's why we're here. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So God designed the church because we need help. And he built the church to meet that need. But there's another reason the church exists, and it is this. We need protection. And so God designed that into the function of the church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. I want us to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. This too will be familiar to you, but uh, I want us to think about it together this morning, beginning in verse 11, chapter 4. It says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there about by waves and, and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming but speaking truth and love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love god designed the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's kind of our mission statement. That's why we're here. But I want you to notice all the plural pronouns. Look again at verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children. Verse 15. We are to grow up in all aspects into him. What that's telling us is that, that the Christian life is a group effort. <laughs> We're in this thing together. God intended us to walk through this life with one another. We are striving towards a common goal. And what is that goal? That passage tells us. It's maturity, right? It says in verse 15, to, to grow up in all aspects into Him. And if that's not our goal, if that's not the result, look at what happens in verse 14 again. We're no longer to be children tossed about, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. One of the Sapisa family traditions is to watch America's Funniest Home Videos on Sunday night. We just love that show. There's, there's not a show that I watch that I laugh at heart out loud as that show. 
And, and one of my favorite things is when there's kids involved. They're just so cute. They, I don't know. I just can't get enough of it. And so just to kind of share some of that with you a little bit, I'm going to show you one of my favorite America's Funniest videos. So if you would show that, guys. Kids can be so fun because they're so gullible, right? And that's great when you're a kid. It's totally a disaster when you're an adult. <laughs> that's why part of growing up in Christ includes not being so gullible. What Paul describes in verse 14 is basically a ship without a rudder. When you have a ship without a rudder out on the seas, it's going to go in whatever direction the wind's blowing. There is nothing to direct its course other than the prevailing wind. So for us, that prevailing wind might be the best-selling book, a good preacher or politician, a blockbuster movie, a chart-topping song. In every case... Someone is trying to move you by their message. Inviting you to believe what they have to say. That's the prevailing wind. Now, some of you might say, well, just because I listen to their music doesn't mean I believe everything they have to say. Or, you know, I read books because I want to expand my knowledge, my mind. And I would say to you, don't be so gullible. There is... No neutral ground. There is no such thing as not being influenced. Artists, authors, musicians, politicians, all work to get your attention. They have a message to sell. And when you stop buying that message, they no longer exist. They're only relevant as long as we are interested. That's the facts. So the question is, how do we stand strong in this culture, in this world, with so many influences coming at us every single day? Well, that's another reason God designed the church, to protect us from the influence of the world. He designed the church to, to be countercultural. He didn't say to uh, equip the sakes for the sake of entertainment. He said, for the sake of service, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. He didn't tell us to impress people with some new truth that they've never thought about before. In fact, what we do here is remind each other of what we already know to be true. And Paul even says it this way in 2 Corinthians. You don't need to, or 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there. In chapter 2, he says, For I have determined to know nothing among you but Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And I, when I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of the power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And I want you to know I share that same heart as Paul in the sense that I don't want you to be impressed with me. I don't want you to be here because of me or anybody else. I want you to be impressed with Jesus. I want you to be here because of him and, and to grow up in the faith by knowing him and trusting him. His truth is ultimately what guides our life. That's the only way we stay on track. Most of us have plenty of knowledge. We're just trying to learn how to apply what we already know to be true in our lives. 
and to live faithfully with those truths so that they ultimately guide our life. Remember, there's no neutral ground. At any given time, we are either being drawn towards Christ or moved away from Him. It all depends on what influence most dominates your life. That's what it comes down to. It all depends on what influence most dominates your life. It is very gullible to think that on a given day we can take in all the messages that come through TV, that come through music, that come through our iPhones, that come through all these places, invited or not. It's very gullible to take all those things in every day and think, well, if I show up to church and read my Bible every once in a while, everything will be okay. Don't be so gullible. We are all being influenced, moved in directions. God designed the church to be a refuge from the world. He created the church to to protect us from, from believing lies that exist in the world. He fit us together so that we all have a part to play. Each individual contributing to the health of the body as a whole. When we walk away from these relationships, we need to understand. We're walking away from God's design for protection. We are here because we need each other. And we are here because we need his protection. We need Jesus. And that's why we're here. And yet, as important as those two things are, (laughs) our help and our protection, is still not the most important reason we're here. The most important reason for God's design in the church is ultimately to put the gospel on display. That's the most important reason for His glory. Here's where it's important to understand what makes the church community unique. Because as we've talked about before, Community can exist in a lot of contexts, and even in those contexts, you can have as much or more devotion and commitment than what you see in a church community, right? That might be a a running club, a triathlon group, a a, a bunco group, your hunting buddies, a tailgating party, okay? All those things exist, and people are very committed to them, and they're not evil in and of themselves, but here's the difference. What draws people to those groups are the things that they have in common that are similar. In other words, if you don't like to jog, you are not going to join a running group, right? But when it comes to the church, we should be here for more than what we have in common. I mean, we share similar interests. Some of us like to hunt, play golf, do crafts. That's fine. But that's ultimately not why we're here, right? The church should be a gospel-revealing community, a place where people come from all walks of life, intergenerational, interracial, from every segment of society, and yet be deeply connected and unified with each other. If that happens, it reveals an aspect of the gospel that should stand in stark contrast to the world around us. Because what do you see in our world? It's divided on every front. Politics, religion, race. So how unique would it be for people to come from all those categories and yet be deeply unified in their diversity? 
that would speak of the reconciliation that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. That reveals the gospel. And that's, I believe, the main reason that we're here. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you would uh, look at verse 13, and let's look at that together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But now in Christ you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is, in, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. The idea here is that sin is the ultimate dividing wall. It puts a barrier between us and God. It divides us from that relationship, that life-saving, eternal relationship with God that we were ultimately created for. But sin is like a disease, and it never sits in one place. It infiltrates all of our relationships and creates dysfunction, not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with one another as well. But the blood of Christ is the only thing that brings that wall down. It's the only thing that brings peace, where sin brought division. It puts us on equal ground, because every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. We have that in common. This past week, I was reading in Matthew, and you might remember the scene where, where Jesus is talking to the group, and he says, uh, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the, the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we need to understand that in that context, the, the listener would have heard that and thought, oh my goodness, nobody can do that. I mean, if anybody follows the law, it's those people. And that's the point. Not even that is going to get you to heaven. Because there is no entrance into heaven by a righteousness of our own. We have to believe that he who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that we might have the righteousness of God through faith and trust in him. Not a righteousness of our own, derived from the law like it did with the, the Pharisees and the scribes, but a righteousness that belongs to God, credited to us through faith in Jesus Christ. If that's what you believe, then the wall came down. That what is what reconciles our relationship with God and ultimately is a source of what reconciles our relationship with one another. The Scripture tells us that's, that's how we're one, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. That's our unity. And that unity puts the gospel on display. That's the place where the Spirit dwells. That's how the church displays the manifold wisdom of God, so that we may not have anything in common except Jesus Christ. And that's enough. Because that's what has reconciled us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it looks like for a church to put the gospel on display. A unity through diversity. 
So if I could, before we finish up this morning, let me get real practical with it, okay? I want us to talk about how we can be faithful to to steward the gift of these relationships. I want to speak to three different groups, okay? The first group I want to speak to are those who are new to Melanie Park. Maybe looking for a church home, trying to find a place where they might be able to, to plug in. What I want you to know, first and foremost, is we want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel like this is a safe place for you to meet people and develop relationships. And I hope that when you're here on Sunday morning, that that's the sense that you get. As you continue to be a part of our time, let me encourage you to take small steps towards community. And let me offer something to you. One of the easiest steps, I believe, to move towards community is to be a part of one of our Sunday morning, we call them ABFs, Adult Bible Fellowships, okay? Really all it is is a small group on Sunday morning because let's be honest, you're not going to develop meaningful relationships to the Sunday morning worship service. I mean, we do good to greet each other. How was your week? Fine, great. Then we're gone to the next person. We're not going to develop meaningful relationships in the context of the Sunday morning worship service. And so the next step is just to come to an ABF, a smaller group of people, where you get a chance to know some folks and be a part of a, a smaller community of people. And I believe that's where you really get to know folks beyond what you can on a Sunday morning. It's a small step towards faithfulness and pursuing community. And I think you'll find there a, a microcosm, what I hope you find here, a, a safe place, a place to plug in and get to know people because we're all here for the same reason. I hope that what we've talked about <laughs> puts your mind at ease. We're all here because we need help. We're all here because we need protection. We need encouragement. We want to grow in our walk with Christ, and we need each other. So I hope that you'll take some steps towards community uh, in that small way. The next group I want to speak to, though, is to those uh, who consider Melanie Park their church home. Um, maybe you haven't been here, have, have been coming here for many years, but, but haven't quite taken the step towards uh, membership. I want to ask you just to consider something with me, and as I do, I want to tell you that, that membership is not a big deal to us in the sense that we're trying to get your name on a list so that can, we can be proud of the number that are on the list. I don't even know where that list is, to be honest with you. Okay? We are not going to take role or anything because of membership. Really, to be honest with you, membership has a lot more to do with what's good for you than it is to be what's good for us. Let me explain to you what I mean. Think about it this way. Think about the marriage commitment. And I believe that if you look at marriage, love thrives within the context of commitment. Okay? Now, some might be able to argue and say, well, I don't need a piece of paper to prove that I love someone. Right? We see that in our culture today. I don't need to be married just to show that I love someone. What I would say is this. If you don't have a marriage commitment, what you have is a consumer relationship. What you have is a relationship that says, look, I'm in love as long as that person meets my needs or something else better doesn't come along. It's a consumer relationship that puts the needs of the individual as higher than that of the relationship. When you look at marriage, it's completely opposite. It puts the needs of the relationship as more important than the individual. There's a willingness even to to sacrifice my own needs for the good of the other. In that marriage commitment, I'm saying I'm in this thing no matter what. You take every condition possible and throw it out the window. Sickness, health, richer, poor, 
Doesn't matter. I'm in this for a lifetime. It's that commitment in which love learns to thrive because there's safety there, right? It's that covenant promise that says, we're in this together. Hard times, good times, we're not going to give up. Now, as you think about that, I want you to think about it in the context of membership. You see, without that commitment, I think it's just as easy to fall into a consumer relationship where, you know, I'm committed as long as everything goes according to what I feel my needs are. As long as the music is good, as long as the preacher's engaging, as long as there is plenty of things for my kids to do, I'm in. But that's a consumer relationship that puts the needs of the individual as more important than the group. I think membership changes that perspective. Because like marriage, it says, look, I'm in this thing. Through the hard times, through the good times, and when there's difficulties with somebody, I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to walk into it and reconcile because that's ultimately what puts the gospel on display. I'm committed to that truth. So I want to be a part of this church family for that reason. Like marriage, love thrives within the context of commitment. And I think that's why membership's important. It's because love thrives within the context of commitment. Third group is those who have uh, become members. You've probably been at Melanie Park for a lot of years, some of you many, many years. <laughs> and that's a great thing. In fact, I think some of you could probably be blindfolded out in the parking lot, make your way in the front door, go get you a cup of coffee, coffee, drop your kids off at the kiosk, and come into your reserved seat here in the sanctuary, never having a look. <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure there's several of you who could do that. But, but here's something that might surprise you. One of the most com uh, consistent pieces of feedback that I get from people who are new to Melanie Park is feedback like this. They say, you know what? We love this church. It's, it's a small church. It's, it's a place where you can get to know people. And I'm in, impressed with all the people who have been here so long and know each other and have relationships. But here's what's hard. <laughs> when you're the new person, it's difficult to understand where you fit in to those kind of relationships that have existed so, so long. So if you've been here long enough to be familiar, let me ask you to not be so comfortable with what's familiar. Bring down that barrier by taking the initiative towards those who are new. Invite them into your home. Go out to lunch with somebody new. Bring down the barrier by taking the initiative yourself. And I think that even extends into things like small groups. Some of you have been in a great small group for the last 20 years. Fantastic. But let me encourage you to consider something. Instead of looking at the church and saying, you know what, when that uh, group of new people come in and you can get six of them together and form a new small group, you should do that. Let me offer an alternative. Why don't we take some of the groups that have been here a long time, split them, bring in some of these new people so that within any, within any one group, you have people who have been here a while engaging with people that are new to this church family and we all get to know each other and that unity within diversity spreads over and over as that is duplicated. Doesn't that make sense? But we're so comfortable with what we have that's familiar. That's hard for us. So if you've been here a long time and you're very comfortable, then I want to challenge you to be a little uncomfortable for the sake of those who are new. So that you can... Bring down that barrier by taking the initiative and reaching out 
to those who need to be invited in. Does that make sense? So when we talk about stewardship, I think there's a lot of ways that we can apply this. But ultimately, what we're saying is this exists because God created it for the purpose to, to help us, to protect us, and to bring him glory. Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we exist for him and because of him. And we want to give honor to the giver by stewarding the gift. The gift of the relationships that we have with one another. Let's be faithful to that. Let me pray and then, ironically, we have some folks we want to introduce to you this morning. So, <laughs> Father, we are grateful for the chance to be together and the privilege that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I don't know, I think maybe if we lived in a different culture in a different place in the world where things weren't so easy, this might be, not be taken so for granted like it, it is when things are so easy. So we don't want to invite that persecution and difficulty. Instead, we want to live in the context where we are and be faithful with what you've given us, recognizing that what we have is for you and because of you. So help us build community by reaching out to one another, even reconciling difficulties because we're in this thing for a lifetime and even more than that, for an eternity. These are the only things that last beyond this side of heaven. May we be faithful to steward that gift now and forever. We pray this in your name. Amen. Mark? We have several folks that we wanted to introduce to you this morning that have been through our wel welcome class and would like to be re recognized and as members of the church and so Hales and Stutzmans if you guys will make your way up here we'll get them first and, and then uh, Taylor and uh, Katie McAlpine please come forward we're really excited to be able to introduce these folks to you in case you haven't met met them uh, please do come up at, after we're done and, and introduce, introduce yourselves to them and welcome them first we have Alex and Lynn Hale uh, they uh, come to us from the Houston area and um, uh, they do all kind kinds of things she loves pets and is an accountant and out Alex is the guy that makes sure all the programs have happen at KCBD. So, um, uh, yeah, so he works hard, hard behind, behind the scenes. And this is uh, Carl and Pamela Stutzman. They've come to us from the Longview area, and um, uh, they're a really neat couple. If you're someone who is wondering what it's like to be involved in cross-cultural ministry, they spent several years in Africa and Indonesia, I believe. Am I close? I got, yeah, close. Okay. In one part of the world and another part, part of the world. Um, and uh, Pam, 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 Pamela, of course, takes care of Carl. And uh, her mom also uh, live, live, lives with them, and she's caring for her at this time, time in life. And, and Carl makes sure that airplanes and helicopters stay in the air. He, he, he works on those things. Anyway, we're, we're really pleased to have you guys join us. And most of you know uh, Taylor. He's been here since he was little. He's been a member about a year or so. Uh, but 
he and Katie got married last September, and so Katie is joining the membership too, but I get to introduce them together as uh, Katie and Taylor, my Calpine together. So come up and welcome them uh, to our body. Let me pray for us. Father, we're thankful this morning that um, we have this body of believers that we can be a part of, that uh, we can fellowship together and encourage each other and build each other up for your glory. We pray that you would uh, welcome these members and that we would welcome them with our open arms and hearts. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.